This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hi, my name is Bill Bannum, and I'm pleased to share that I'll be hosting a bunch of HR in Review episodes on the go forward, as well as sharing many, many articles on the HR Review website. My first guest is Philippa Bonnet. Director of People and Business Services at the Office for National Statistics. Listen as Philippa shares her tips for a varied and successful career in HR. She'll also offer her thoughts on mentorship, how to be a more inspiring leader, and ways to improve DEI in the workplace. Philippa has extensive international corporate experience across the whole HR remit in both the private and public sectors. As People and Business Services Director for the ONS, she is responsible for human resources, estates, facilities management, HS, business services, and the customer contact center. In addition, Philippa is the HR Director for the Government Analysis Function and the Government Statistical Service, and a member of the Civil Service HR Function Board. She extends her work and research voluntarily to charities and global organizations, notably focused on team working, leadership, values, and behaviors. She's also the co-founder of a global thought leadership club, which includes virtual conferences and a podcast series where she interviews a range of fascinating global senior execs who stand out in their fields. Philippa is also a fellow of the CIPD, one of the UK 50 leading lights in kindness and leadership, HR Magazine's most influential practitioners and 40 people leaders in the UK building workplaces of tomorrow in 2022. I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Philippa. Philippa, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the HR in Review podcast today. Bill, lovely uh, to be here. Thank you very much for asking me. So beyond my wee introduction there, why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling our listeners all about your career journey? Okay, so I started, actually my career journey started in marketing and communications and I kind of fell into HR. I started um, actually uh, working in in Paris. Uh, So I moved to Paris after I'd finished uh, um, my university. Uh, working in marketing and communications, fell into HR and then thought this is really the place for me. Um, so I've stayed ever since. Um, I've got a mix of working in the public and the private sector, so probably half of my career in one and half in the other. Um, and I've been in the uh, UK civil service for the past 11 years now and I've worked in multiple um, departments and I've worked across lots of different sectors. Um, I suppose what typifies my work quite a lot is transformation, building teams um, and individuals, um, opportunities for everyone. I've done specialist and generalist HR roles, which I love, lots of coaching and mentoring and sponsoring. Um, I'm also the co-founder of um, the Oxford Leadership Knowledge Club, which I lead with a dear friend of mine, um, Professor Lilith Jury. Um, and we do lots of research and a couple of bit, bit of podcasting and virtual global conferences, which is great. I'm a trustee for Beyond the Streets, which is an amazing uh, charity, and I do quite a lot of work with charities. I'm a mum to two wonderful daughters. Uh, I'm a bit of a yoga addict and I'm a cake baker. OK, thank you. So as an HR pro, what, what are you most passionate about? 
Oh, um, well, loads of things, but I suppose um, what's really important is ensuring that the people agenda is really at the centre of business strategy um, and not just an enabler. Uh, so most most organisations and lots of CEOs will say, you know, people are our greatest asset. Uh, but I'd sometimes question, are they really? And if they are, then put them right at the centre of your business strategy. So I think that's quite important. Um, also, I'm really passionate about developing the profession. Um, so where I work at the moment, um, my directorate is what we call a learning directorate. So it is all about learning and development, creating opportunities. We learn from our mistakes. We talk about them. We seek um, opportunities for learning in the flow of work, professional development, all of that. So that's I'm really passionate about building the HR profession, building people in my team and people beyond. I'm a coach and mentor across the HR profession as well and building those skills for now and in the future. Um, I think a user-centric approach is really, really important. We have some principles that I, my team and I work to, which is around people mattering, users matter, experience matters, and our professionalism matters. Um, inclusion is massively important for me um, as well. And then using data to drive decisions and really show the efficacy of interventions. You mentioned just now that uh, one of your many hats is as a as a mentor. Um, I, I'd love to I'd love to hear from you now. In, in the context of well, I understand that to, to help build an inclusive culture, the ONS offers sponsorships, mentoring, and championing, and everyone within the organisation has an inclusion and diversity ob objective. So my question for you is, how is mentoring? And coaching made a difference in in your life and in your career follow us on twitter at hr review or join us on linkedin and facebook uh, so i think in two ways uh, really so as a coach and a mentor i learn every day when i'm coaching and mentoring people you know for me it's a it's a it's a source of energy for me but it's a real learning opportunity um, for me as well and then I think what I've been able um, to offer others through that coaching and mentoring of them. Um, I, I, I sort of mentor for universities as well. And I remember, um, actually, I think it was last year, I got an email from somebody saying, oh, Philip, you probably won't remember me, but you mentored me when I was in my second year at university. And you talked about so passionately about HR as a career. That's what I decided to do and look at me now. And um, the person is, you know, the head of HR, uh, in their organisation, absolutely thriving. So things like that, um, you know, really warm me. Um, and I say, I, I think I probably, I'm sort of constantly mentoring. I do a lot of um, mutual mentoring. So, you know, reverse mentoring, but I also mentor that person, which helps me learn about other people's lived experiences. It challenges me, it pushes me, um, increases my knowledge base, and it makes me, you know, want to innovate more. So I think that's, that's important. And I constantly look for feedback from people. But I think um, there are I've, I've got um, mentors or people that I mentor as well. So when we do some mutual men mentoring, and I think two, two comments um, have always stuck out for me from those relationships. And uh, one of them was uh, self care is the care of others which um, is really important, particularly when you're in a, as you grow into leadership roles and more senior leadership roles. 
And then the other one, which actually is something that I share with my team a lot. Um, my, my mentor said to me when I became a director, um, you, will, you will be outsourcing your professional credibility to your team. How do you feel about that? And how will you cope with that and work with that? Um, and that for me was one of the challenges as I've become a more senior leader um, in my career is really how I can move from that individual contributor to leading a team to that uh, sort of more collaborative uh, collaboration and, you know, taking my team with me. Now then, as part of my homework ahead of uh, ahead of our conversation today, I was reading a number of uh, interviews that you've done in the past in other places. Um, and one thing that struck struck me was you're a big proponent of being kind and being respectful to, to, to others uh, in, in your personal life and, and also, of course, in the workplace. How have the collective lessons, Philippa, in, in empathy and perhaps equity too over the past couple of years change the ways that leaders communicate with with their employees and perhaps also how employees are interacting with their colleagues yeah i think that's it's a great question it's really really important and something that i work on i work on a lot and it underpins as you say sort of the work that i do interestingly um the professor that i was talking about professor lalit the work that he and i have been doing in terms of research is very much around so we've been looking at uh, high performance, how teams get to high performance. And through our research, we found four things that we think really underpin um, that high performance and um, or the ability for teams to collaborate. And it's respect, trust, understanding and kindness. And all of that is underpinned by psychological safety. And I think that that, that is those things are absolutely key. Um, we've actually taken it and we've been working through a couple of organisations with it who've taken it on as their values, which is, is really brilliant. And we work through with the teams about what does this mean? So I think, I mean, during the pandemic, we've learned to be really empathetic and possibly in part that was because for once we were all having a common experience. Um, so we saw into people's lives, obviously, you know, on, on screen um, and people were vulnerable and that was OK. Uh, which is really quite rare uh, to be able to do that. And we did loads of stuff and we shared lots of stuff together. Um, but I think we're losing that to a degree because I think people have become a bit exhausted by it. Uh, I think life has moved on. Uh, people can move out of situations. People sort of change and flux quite, quite quickly. Um, so there really is something about keeping up regular and relatable communications um, to colleagues. That is absolutely key. Um, and when I mean sort of relatable, it's like, you know, talk to people as though they are people having a chat with them rather than communicating at them. I think that's really important. And to keep a level of personal um, in that. So I know, I mean, I share, I, I, I talk about quite a lot of things with my team and sometimes when I post on LinkedIn, but I talk a lot about well-being. Um, and that I know those those emails um, or those posts are the ones that are the most popular because people are very interested in seeing, you know, individuals, people as individuals rather than just sort of leading corporately. OK, thank you. Now, then, like most organizations, the Office for National Statistics still probably has some work to do when it comes to diversity in, in leadership. Uh, in, in a recent post on GovX.digital, you shared your take on using data 
to identify barriers. Uh, and you said that although the department has good levels of disability and LGBTQ plus representation among the most senior positions, improvement is still needed for women and for ethnic minorities. And to improve this situation, one thing that your team has been doing is you guys recently launched an inclusion culture and well-being app that gives all ONS directorates the, the ability to, to look at all of their information by a protected characteristic across the employee life cycle. I'd, I'd love for you now to share with our listeners uh, a bit about the app and how it's going to help leaders to identify where the problems could be and set objectives against them. If you have any comments on the HR and Review podcast, would like to suggest a topic or speaker, or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email podcast at hrreview.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, yeah, thanks. No, this is so this is a real area of focus for us and a huge, huge passion of mine. Um, and we are really increasing our specialism in it as well um, in the ONS. So yes, I mean, where, where we need to focus our attention and what we know our data is selling us is about women, as you say, women and ethnic minorities, most of those senior levels is sort of about 43% women at senior levels, but we want to get to parity. Um, and for um, colleagues from an ethnic minority background, we're, we're doing okay in terms of our travel to work. So, you know, what the representation in our er areas are, but it's not enough at senior levels. So um, the, the team, my brilliant people analytics team have created this app, which is a series of dashboards basically, which will tell us, as you say, across the whole of the employee life cycle, what is going on with each, through each of the protected characteristics. And what it enables us to do is to, we've obviously we've got targets and we've got aspirations at an organizational level and everyone needs to contribute to that. But we need to drill down at that more local level and find out what's going on. And that actually is quite different across, our, you know, our business areas. So, for example, in my business areas, you know, we are predominantly, I, I don't obviously just have people within my, uh, you know, or HR within my area. I've got estates and health and safety and shared business services. We're still quite a predominantly female business area. But we will go to other business areas, the, the more, you know, operational ones and statistics or economics, and they have fewer women. So we need to understand what's going on there. But typically, to sort of give you an example, we've been able to go away and look at it and look at our promotion rates internally and find out how that is impacting people from different protected characteristics. And then it means when we know that, it means that then we can say, like, what interventions do we need to take? What is going on? What's manifesting in the organisation? And we use that data to then go out and have conversations with people in those groups and say, tell us what's going on what is it you need more from us what's not working for you in this organization or indeed what's brilliant and we need to do more of so coupling that um you know that that very pure data that we have with that all the qualitative data with some uh, sorry quantitative data with some qualitative conversations um with our people we can then go away and go right these are the actions that we need to take so it's about you know what action will be the most effective rather than just taking a whole suite of actions. So it allows us also to streamline what we're doing and focus our attentions on the things that will make, that you know, shift the dial the most. Excellent, thank you very much. I'd like to now switch the, the conversation a wee bit and talk to you about levelling up and, mm -hmm. um, and this idea of moving away from a London-centric economy as a non-Londoner. 
Um, I, I can get behind that, I guess. Um, what, what can be achieved through local talent recruitment, Philippa, e.g. balancing the number of public sector roles based throughout the UK? And how does hiring locally mesh with the, this, this shift that we've all seen over the last couple of years, you know, certainly in the private sector towards work from home, hybrid work, and embracing a wider, more disparate talent pool? Yeah. No, no, it's a great question. I mean, I live in Dorset, so, you know, I, I, I live uh, a long way from any of our offices um, in the ONS and we, you know, we have ad adopted hybrid working. We've got brilliant office spaces as well, which really does encourage people uh, to come back in and work with purpose and to collaborate. Um, but as you say, there is a big agenda um, for levelling up and, and, you know, quite rightly, uh, the public sector is increasingly, there's a lot of public uh, sector and a lot of civil service across the whole of the UK. Um, but it's really important where, you know, we're looking at it in the war for talent with the current, you know, the tight labor market that we are, uh, that we have at the moment, we have to be able to look for our skills everywhere. So being able to go, and lots of people, particularly through the pandemic, have found that they don't wanna be doing lots of commuting. They don't want these long journeys. They don't necessarily want to be going into cities. So how is it that we can balance that a little bit better? and as I say, if you're looking to increase your skills base and notably the diversity of your organisation, getting out and about um, across the UK is an absolutely brilliant way to do it. So we've um, recently opened the Darlington Economic Campus um, with other government departments and it enables us also to go out to the um, universities, the local universities, start working with them so we can build our pipeline, maybe do some partnership with them. So there's absolute opportunities because I think there's one thing that I'm definitely trying to do in the ONS with my team is to shift people away just purely from recruitment, particularly when you've got the labour market that we have at the moment and think more in terms of resourcing. So where actually, you know, how do you create um, partnerships or pipelines into the organisation or temporary you know, working arrangements with people so you don't have to recruit all the time? that you're, you know, you're working in a slightly different way to resource the needs of the organisation. You've got many, many hats. You're a very, very busy person. You're, you're also the HR director for the government analysis function. Uh, can you take a minute or two now and tell me about that role and how it's contributed to and maybe enhanced your knowledge and skills as an HR leader? Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. I, uh, yes, I, I do. It's what my, one of my other hats. And so the analysis function across government is about 17,000 people who identify as analysts across government. And we've got seven professions. So um, statisticians, economists, operational researchers, social researchers, actuaries, geographers, and then some data scientists. But we've also got, and this is growing, uh, Bill, which I think is really, really interesting in terms of analysis. We've got a a growing population of people who just identify as analysts. So we're becoming more multidisciplinary uh, within analysis as its whole. And so there's a that, that's a really great way to be able to move resource around, um, around the whole of the civil service and indeed, you know, within our own organisations or within the ONS, when people identify more through the analysis than just a pure profession. Um, and the point of analysis, the point of the analysis function is to ensure that research and evidence is absolutely at the core of policy making and decision making in government. And I think, you know, you can look at through the pandemic that absolutely brought that to the fore. You know, Patrick Balance, Chris Whitty, my own permanent secretary, Ian Diamond, you know, 
always on the TV talking about the importance of data and how it is you use it to make the right kind of decisions at the right kind of moment. Um, so that's really sort of boosted us um, as a function. I love having a cross-government responsibility. I've, I've worked across many government departments, um, and I think we've got so much, uh, so much leverage um, as a cross, you know, across the civil service. Um, what it makes me do in terms of an HR leader is because the, I, you know, the people obviously work for any department across government. So you have to think slightly different about what is the offer that we can give our colleagues over and above what they will get in their departments. So it's that, you know, how can we add value? How are we greater um, than you know, everything else that's on offer? What is our sort of USP, if you like? There's a lot around multiple stakeholder management, which is great. And it's really about harnessing and building capability for all within that function. Um, one of the things that we've done recently, which is amazing, is a capability report on um, the analytical capability of policy professions across government. And that will allow us to build that cross-government capability in analysis. And I think it's, it's the biggest report uh, that's ever been done um, so far across that kind of across skills across government. And it's proving really, really popular. We can use that to really think about how we're going to focus um, analytical development in the future. This next question came in um, only about half an hour before uh, our interview started today from the from the editorial team at HR Review. And it's a it's a bit of a whopper, frankly, it, it, it's a it's a big question. And uh, and yet and yet, Philippa, I'm going to challenge you to answer it in uh, in uh, two minutes or less. Maybe you just want to have a bit of fun with it because it is such a big question. And, and it is it is as follows. In your opinion, what is the single biggest change you think will happen in HR over the next five to 10 years? Why not subscribe to the premium version of HR in Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast. Yeah, it's a good question. Very good question. Um, and lots of people, lots of lots of great, great people will be spending a lot of time writing a lot about this. Um, I suppose to me, I think um, I talk about it a lot. I do think it's data uh, and the data that we use. I see that really being our turning point um, within HR because we talk a lot about evidence based HR. But I really do think um, that it's absolutely about how you're getting your data, how you're understanding and actually getting really good data, because I think probably most HR professionals listening to this will have, even if they're not in their current organisation, will have worked in an organisation where the data has been not very good. And it's absolutely crucial to us to be able to take, make decisions and take actions and show our organisations what we should be doing in the people agenda. So I think that increasing people analytics using the data, as I say, qualitative and quantitative, go out and talk to people. You know, what people say is a point of data. So use everything that you've got around you and then bring that together to make great decisions. Use it to then to take action and then follow what you're doing in terms of that action and see if the data is telling you that that is the right thing to do. And if it isn't, think again and do something different. 
But I think that's something that we can absolutely harness. And lots of HR professionals get really nervous about data. I don't do an, you know, analysis. It's about data and analysis. So it's always important, not just the data, make, make it insightful. What are the insights you're bringing to your organization? And lots of HR professionals think that they can't do that. We do that every single day. We do it every day in our work, but we don't necessarily think about it like that. So just perhaps flip the way that you think about all of the sources of data that you have from people all the time and how that drives your decisions and just you know, harness that and take that forward. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, another question from the, the, the team over at HR Review. And this is one actually that we're going to ask of all of our guests on the go forward. And then we're going to uh, create a lovely uh, repository of uh, unique answers to, to a particular theme. And, and the question goes as follows. If you could pass on one crucial lesson that you've learned in your HR career in one minute or less, oh my goodness me, what would be your top tip for other HR professionals? Okay, right, I will try. Um, so I would say, um, treat everything as a learning opportunity and seek learning. So, you know, go, go between generalists and specialist roles, read, research, network, talk to people, get really comfortable with data analysis and numbers. I think that's really important, but keep learning. I have seized opportunities. In my career, it's never been a, a very sort of thought out career path. It is going for jobs that I love, where I think I can add value, where I know I'm going to be challenged and I'm going to be learned. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone, but that is where you innovate. You know, that is where you are making a difference and making change. And I think one of, you know, one of the things, keep asking people what they care about, then go away, find out all about that and bring that into your work. Okay, I reckon that was just in about 60 seconds. That's pretty good going, pretty good going. And just finally for today, Philippa, how can our listeners connect with you and, and learn more about you? Is that through uh, LinkedIn? Do you want to share your email address? Are you on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok? Where, where are the places that folks can connect? Um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is definitely somewhere where you can get me, um, where I post um, from time to time. But uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn and we can chat. Excellent. And that's how we got here, by the way. Uh, I, I think I sent you a connection request and and the rest is history. Uh, well, I've had a lot of fun with you today, Philippa. I've, I've learned lots. This has been awesome. Um, that just leaves me to say thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR In Review podcast. Bill, thank you so much. It's been really fun. Thank you. The HR In Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. HRReview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HRReview or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.